Hey, that was uh, Curtis Clam, and I've known Curtis ever since our uh, oldest kids were in second grade, and his son was on my basketball team. And I've seen a guy move from uh, trying to be a good guy to resting in the completed work of Jesus Christ. You know, at Fellowship here, we're about uh, transformed lives, leaving godly legacy. And uh, Curtis's son is uh, leading us in worship. He's playing the drums this morning. Uh, his other son is at uh, K-State, and he's leading in ministry there. And his wife, uh, just wonder, we love the clams. We have seen God work and transform their whole family. So I want to thank you for being with us as we have been in a series called Awakening. And uh, as Curtis and many of us have come awakened to God and his work for us during this series, uh, we're, we're not just talking about coming awake to the gospel. We're coming uh, aware. We're living in awareness to the gospel. That's where we're talking about. And this is the second week we've been talking about. Last week we talked about once you have the gospel, what are those rodents of the gospel that kind of attack and kind of gnaw away at your faith? And we saw those rodents as self-condemnation, self-righteousness, selfishness. What kind of erode the power of the gospel in your life? And so that's why it's important for us to live in awareness of the gospel, to always seek the, the beauty and the glory and the, the wonder of who Christ is in our lives. Why live aware? Because there's voices around us that distract us. There's attitudes within us that can really trip us up. There are also a, an attack against us uh, by the forces of evil in this world. And so we want to be people who once we have Jesus, we stay rooted and grounded and growing in the beauty of the gospel. And I want to kind of make a case for you today. I want to make a case that, that it's worth checking into the gospel before you check anything else for your day. Think about your first few minutes that you're awake. What does that pattern look like? It may mean uh, taking a shower. It may mean uh, getting dressed. But it also might mean checking your social media or turning on the news, or reading the paper. You know, whenever you check into social media, it's not like it's evil. It's just that you get the best of someone's life. You get, look at my award. Look at my accomplishment. Look at my smoking hot wife. Look at my kid. They're so intelligent. They're so athletic. Everyone loves them. But we never see those posts of, hey, this month I gained 15 pounds. Look at me. You know, we don't show the worst of us. We've never lived in a time where we've seen, where we've seen the best of everyone. And so, uh, what, what that makes it is makes us comparative from the first thing we do in the morning. And then we look at the news. What do we see in the news? Conflict, chaos, strife. And it's not, it's not long that you can be invited into the spin or the swirl of our culture. So it's important for us. That the first few moments of our day are spent living in awareness, in an openness, in availability for the gospel in our lives. Um, we've talked about how the gospel is really uh, a picture of God's love for us. Remember that first verse we memorized? Many of us know it. It's John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Quite, quite simply, the gospel summarized in four phrases. God loved, God gave. And our response is, we believe, and therefore we receive. That's the gospel. And when we come awake to that, then we live. We live in a manner worthy of the gospel. 
which is our second verse. And you might have received that on that business card that you have. I invite you to put this in a place where you can read it multiple times this week and just be reminded of the beauty of the gospel where Paul writes to the church in Philippi. He says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and visit you or I'm absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm with one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Once you have Jesus, you want to reflect the glory of the gospel, right? And what I want to give you, and this this message is pretty simple. It's just two reasons, two reasons to live each day in awareness of the gospel. A little bit more accurately, why checking into the gospel is more powerful than checking into social media for your day. I want to make that case. And you know, over the course of this series, you've been looking at uh, 40 different passages, one each day throughout this series, that's going to expose you to the beauty and the glory and an invitation to live in the power of the gospel. One of those passages you looked at was Romans chapter 8. If you have your Bibles, open up there with me to Romans chapter 8, beginning with verse 16. Paul says this, he kind of gives a whole picture of what it is to live with Christ. And the beauty of the gospel. And this was to a church that was literally suffering because they believed in Christ. They were being persecuted for their faith in Christ. And he said this, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. This passage kind of gives perspective. And he's saying, look, we live in a time of suffering right now. We live in a time where things are longing to be restored. Uh, The world around us and the soul within us. We're longing to be restored. But remember, folks, your best year, best years of your existence will happen in front of you. They didn't happen behind you. They, so we look forward to the glory that's going to be revealed. And then he writes this. He kind of gives us a picture of the gospel now satisfying the greatest longing of the world around us. And the soul within us. Let's take a look at the gospel satisfying the the world around us. It says, for we know in verse 22 of Romans 8, that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. That's uh, it's kind of a picture that Paul is crafting of, of uh, when a woman's in childbirth, she's expectant of that baby in her arms. And so it gives some perspective to the pain that she was going through. And here it looks at all of creation. All of creation. When you look at all of creation, there's certainly beauty. There's certainly wonder. But things are not as they were created to be, right? In Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2, it talks about in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And God fashioned this creation to live in harmony with him and with the humanity he created to live in it. He gave man and woman the responsibility to steward well creation. And something happened. Something happened real quickly. Genesis chapter three, first book, third chapter in. We walked away. We wanted life on our own terms. We didn't want to follow God and man fell. And when man fell, creation fell. It was defaced. It's like this masterpiece of God's creation had someone come and have graffiti on it. And here what Paul is saying is, is that the whole creation has been groaning together in the chain pains of childbirth until now. Creation has been defaced, and it's longing for restoration. 
I love what Kent Hughes in his commentary on Romans says. He says this, the animal world was invaded by fear and violence because of the fall. The loveliest scenes in nature while remaining beautiful are also witness to bloody horrors, floods, hurricanes, droughts, tornadoes. Hello, Kansas. Are also uh, witnesses and avalanches and earthquakes stalk the earth. It's like one of my friends, uh, Mark Miller, who always wanted to go live in Australia. He's always heard stories that had, you know, pristine pristine beaches in Australia and he's always wanted to go there. And so he, he lived out in California and he worked for a renewable energy company and he wanted to go and market solar energy to Australia. So the company moved he and his wife and two children down to Australia and they went to go swimming at one of those beautiful beaches. And all of a sudden they came up and the beach was closed and they asked someone, why is the beach closed? There's sharks. There's sharks. He's going, sharks? There's sharks. There's the bull shark and the tiger shark and the great white shark. The sharks. They couldn't swim that day because there were sharks. Then he went another day. No, we can't go today because the box jellyfish are all on this coastline. The box jellyfish. What do you know? 15 tentacles that hang down from them. If you get stung by one, you can go into cardiac arrest and die. So you stay away from this pristine, this beach. This beach has no people in it because all the animals are going crazy on it. And then he went to go swimming in a, in a river. He says, no, we can't go here. There's saltwater crocodiles. Crocodiles. This beautiful place, this dream, this, this dream world was now affected by the fall. And as a result of the fall, we have this mentality of lions and tigers and bears. Oh my, <laughs> lions and tigers and bears. But the scripture says the story's not over. Right now, creation is longing. It's longing for the appearance of our glorious God and great Savior. When he returns back, I love Isaiah when he says this in Isaiah chapter six, uh, 11, verse 6. He says, The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and a little child shall lead them. We would never put these animals and that little child in the same pen together today. We would never, hey, here's a leopard, a lion, a calf, goat, put a kid in there too. You know, let's just try it out. We don't do that. No, we go, forget it, keep them far away. But when God restores creation, all of them will live at peace. It's, I'm looking forward to that time, aren't you? It's the longing of creation. It's the longing of creation that it would be restored. All of creation. Folks, no more weeds. How many gardeners do we have there and farmers? No more pesticides. Amen. No more thorns. No more thistles. No more enemies, threats, fears, anxieties, worries. Peace will reign in a kingdom and a creation without end. All of creation longs for this restoration. The gospel satisfies that in Jesus Christ. When he returns, he will make all wrongs right. We look forward to that day. 
The gospel satisfies that longing of the world around us, but it also satisfies the longing of the soul within us. Look at verse 23 of Romans chapter 8. It says this, and not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly. That's a great phrase. We groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption of sons, the redemption of our souls. When Christ returns, And completely redeems and restores us. We look forward to that day. You looking forward to that day? The older I get, I'm 51. It's my half-life, I hope. But the older I get, the more I long for that day. The younger I was, the more I kind of wanted, I want to experience this. I want to do that. That's because I was longing for all those things. And I got a lot of those things I was longing for. And I realized these things can't fill me. They just can't. They were never created to fill and satisfy the longing of my soul. Only the gospel does that. It satisfies the longing of the soul within us. And it says there, look at that passage again. The Holy Spirit gives us the first fruits of this final restoration. Do you know God has, if you've trusted in Christ, God has placed the Holy Spirit in you to remind you that only Jesus satisfies. So when you wake up and you are just tired, the Holy Spirit says, hey, you were meant to rely on the strength of your God today. Trust him to empower you. When you wake up burdened, you have the Holy Spirit who says, trust him today. Take that next step by faith rather than fear. When you have a longing for meaning, the Holy Spirit says, you are known fully And you are loved completely by your heavenly father. When you're longing for perfection, when you fall short of your own expectations and the expectations of people around you, the Holy Spirit says, wait a minute, wait a minute. You have been made perfect in Christ. It's only because of him. He has given you God's righteousness. It's not because of your work. Stop trying. Stop expecting and live by grace, not by works. When you're longing for the next thrill, the next experience of wonder and excitement, the Holy Spirit says, join me in an adventure today. The greatest adventure and exploration into the great and mighty works of God today. When you're longing to be significant, the Holy Spirit says, give glory to someone greater than yourself. It's that Holy Spirit who comes and just reminds us, your soul has been satisfied with Christ The pictures the scriptures give us is the final one. When the baby is born, when Christ meets his church and weds himself for eternity, and it's going to be a life that swallows up the grief and groaning of our present suffering so that we would fully and finally live satisfied in Christ. Well, that can happen right now. You don't have to wait for Jesus to return. Your life can be satisfied by him, because the gospel satisfies the longing of the world around us and the soul within us. Second thing, here's another passage we looked at this week. It's in the small book in the New Testament called Titus. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Titus chapter 2, beginning with verse 11. And that is the gospel guides our living. The gospel is something that satisfies us and something that guides us. Look at how the gospel is shown to guide us. Titus 2, 11 through 14. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people, 
training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in this present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Let's kind of break this down because it kind of gives us a picture of how the gospel guides us in living. First thing it says there is that the grace of God has appeared to us. The gospel guides us to live by grace. For, for many who live their religion in order to work their way to whatever authority is over them or to be a good person or to be devout to it, the gospel says, no, no, it's not works that that saves you. It's grace that saves you. And the grace of God appeared. It's already happened. How did the grace of God appear? Jesus came to this world. He left heaven, took on flesh, lived on this earth. And he lived a life you and I can't live. He lived a perfect life. And he satisfied that that requirement that there must be someone righteous, someone without sin, someone holy who could live a perfect life. Jesus lived that perfect life, the one we can't live. But Jesus also died, and the grace of God appeared on the cross. And on the cross, all of God's judgment, all of God's wrath, all of God's anger was taken out on himself, on his son, on the cross. And the final payment was done on the cross for us. So it's not in us trying to make up and become good so that we can outweigh our bad deeds. Our bad deeds were taken care of on the cross. That's our confidence. That's why it's the picture of Christianity, because it shows a picture of the work of God for us, not our works. Jesus lived, Jesus died, and finally Jesus rose again. The grace of God appeared when it he literally appeared, resurrected and living after his death on the cross. And a resurrected Jesus means that we have victory over death and over the power of sin in our lives. The grace of God appeared to us, right? And so we are to live by that grace. Look what it says, that the grace of God now trains us. It teaches us how to do two things. Say no, right? It asks us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. And then it teaches us to say yes. Say yes to self-control, to living an upright life, a life versus a life that's swayed and thrown all around whatever this culture pulls us to, and a life that reflects God, a godly life. Now think about this. The scriptures teach us what to say no to. I don't like the word no. Do you? Sometimes it just gets us going. I mean, everything's fine until someone says, don't do that. What do we want to do? That. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it just kind of gets us. Our world doesn't like to be told you can't, you won't, don't. We don't like those words. All of a sudden, our heart rate goes up and goes, who who are you to tell me? I can too. It just wells us up. If you've ever parented kids, you know what I mean. Just don't say anything and they won't go in there. Don't, don't touch the wet paint, kids. Why did you just say that? Now we got fingerprints. Because they just, for some reason, whenever someone says no, we say yes. But it also teaches us to say yes. What does it say? 
Scriptures tell us to say yes to self-control. That means being patient with what God is doing and being patient even with that next impulse so that God can do something greater in our lives. To be upright, to live a godly life. Do you realize every significant relationship in your life and my life is driven by saying no to something so that you can say yes to another? You do that. We already do that. So if you're tempted with porn and it's just been a huge force in your life, there's going to be a time when you follow Jesus for you to go, no, 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 wait, wait a minute. That's destroying how I'm viewing and treating women. That's treating myself as primarily a sexual being rather than a spiritual being. And I've got to say no to that so that God can bring about, instead of porn, purity in my life. It's something that's good and right and built on love, not lust. If I'm tempted to gossip about someone, then I've got to be able to say no to that so that I can be an encouragement and a blessing to them. If someone hurts me and I want to get revenge, uh, whether it's, you know, putting up the Facebook post or something like that, if I want to get revenge, the the Spirit of God says, no, 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 Would, would you just forgive them as God in Christ forgave you? Every relationship has a no so that you can say yes to something better. In a relationship with Christ, you do that too. If you've ever been married, if you ever got married, you know exactly what I mean. You stand up in front of all the people who love you and are for you, and you go, yes, to this one person. But you know, when you say yes to that one, you're saying no to all the others, right? You don't get up there and go, yes, for 362 days out of the year. You don't. Even though we could go, hey man, 96%, that's not bad. 96% faithfulness, that's not bad in this day and age. Okay, I'll take 96%. No way, nothing less than 100 makes it a good marriage, right? Right? What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. No, it doesn't. Not in marriage. It doesn't. And our culture may sway you into that, but the word of God calls you back. Everything significant, every meaningful relationship has a no attached to a yes for something greater. Do you realize you showed up here today, you said no to more sleep, no to that run, or maybe you got up really early and God bless you if you did, but you said no to something to be here so that you could worship to a greater yes of being with your church family, to a greater yes of making God greater in your life to a greater yes to God's word influencing and moving you and inspiring you and transforming you. You say no to say yes to something better. And grace of God shows us that. And the greatest, the most fulfilled Christians I meet are the ones who gladly say no, who willingly say no to something so that they can say a greater yes to God. That's just the pattern following Jesus, because the gospel guides us to say no to some things so that we can say yes to others. But it's not just that we live in God's grace, it's that we live for God's glory. Look at verse 13 in Titus chapter 2. It says, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So it says here, there's two appearings that it talks about. One is the grace of God has appeared to us, and he did through the person of Jesus who lived, died, and rose for us. But then it shows we're waiting now for the glorious appearing. Glorious of our blessed hope. 
our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's something we look forward to. And remember, like I said earlier, our greatest years are ahead of us with Christ. Satisfying the longing of our souls. Guiding us in life. We live now for the glory of God. And that is to make God greater than us. Martin Luther, when he read this passage, wrote, I live as though Christ died yesterday, rose again today, and is coming tomorrow. That's the reality a follower of Jesus has. A past, God's grace has appeared in my life. A present, I'll live by grace. A future, I'll live for God's glory. That's how we live. And that that means that we live in a way to make God greater. We live with an expectation for the appearance of of Christ, who could come at any time. And then we're to live in God's goodness. Look what it says in verse 14 when it talks about Jesus. It says that he gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people of his own possession who are zealous for good works. If you were Jewish and you heard this, you would hear the echo of your childhood when you used to go to the synagogue and the rabbi would pull out the scrolls that were kept in these clay pots and he would lift them up and he would roll out and you would hear it. It it was from Ezekiel. Look at what God says through the prophet Ezekiel in Ezekiel chapter 37, verse 23. It says, they shall not defile themselves anymore with their idols or, and their detestable things or with any of their transgressions. But look what God says. But I will save them from all of these backslidings in which they have sinned, and I will cleanse them, and they shall be my people. Do you hear the echo? The echo after Christ came, the grace of God appeared and fulfilled everything that the law could not fulfill. Jesus fulfilled. He gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people of his own possession who are zealous for good works. Folks, good works do not save you, but you are saved for them. And you have been given the goodness of God in your life. You've been given the gospel, which is the greatest gift. But now you've also been given the character of Christ. We're called into a community of people who are, who are reflecting the goodness, the grace, and the glory of God. And this goodness is going to confront some things in your life. Some strongholds, some secrets, some dark areas that are going to be uncomfortable. But here's the deal. It's always better to have the goodness of God in your life. God's goodness will confront counterfeits. The people of God have been making idols for a long time. And we just have different idols than they used to have. But we drive them. We live in them. We pour our time and energy into them. And the gospel trains us, no, 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 make your life about reflecting the goodness of God. The gospel comes into our lives as a rescue, but it really becomes and liberates our lives as it lovingly guides us from kind of a meaningless existence to to something that has God's unlimited grace and glory and goodness. I think about this in our own lives. Why is it, since the gospel offers this satisfaction of our souls, why is it that when the gospel offers this guide for living, why don't we walk in it? 
Why are we so easily distracted by the things of this world? Why are we so swayed by the next debate in this world? Why aren't we satisfied in Christ? It's kind of like if you've ever climbed a mountain. I remember climbing Mount Sherman with each of my boys when they turned six in sixth grade going into seventh. Um, our mountain program here takes them out to Colorado and we all climb a 14er. And you do it with one of your parents and then your trail guide who's been with you for all those years in the mountain. Right before they go into the youth group, you climb that mountain. And I remember the first time I did it, Brett Deerdorf was our guide. And Brett had climbed all these 14ers out in Colorado. And so Brett said, this is what you need. You need a backpack. And you need that backpack. You need this much water. And he told me how many bottles of water to pack in that. And he said, you need trail mix. You need your protein. You need a hat. You need gloves. He gave me all these things that I needed. And I put on this backpack. And I was like, what in the world? I'm climbing up that with this on my back? He says, you're going to need it. And we would go, and I mean, I was totally out of shape. I mean, I, my view of the mountain climb was I'd just go out like on the Shungle Trail or go for a hike. But the oxygen level was half what it is in Kansas. And so I'm huffing and puffing. And I remember Steve Pogue, he was right in front of me. And there were times I was just checking, Steve took a step, I'll take a step. Steve took another step. I, and I'm not going to let Steve show me up on this one. But then he would say, hey, go in your backpack, drink some water now. Okay, Brett, and well, you know, we, we drink some water. Okay, now stop. Eat. So we ate. Okay, you getting cold? I'm freezing up here. Good. Get on that hat and gloves. And the burden of the backpack, if I didn't know what was in the backpack, it was a burden. But when you're on that hike, you thank God for the backpack. You can't just go, where's some water? He's got some. No. No, you drink what's in the backpack. God has equipped you in the gospel to have everything you need for life. Open up the pack. Unpack. Live in awareness of what God has already blessed you with and declared in your life. You have with Jesus. He satisfies. He guides you. Don't ignore the pack. So many Christians don't look in the pack. They got, I'm okay. Got hell insurance. That's good enough for my life. And they just go and they realize, why am I so empty? What am I missing? I have Jesus. The pastor told me I have everything I need, but my life is empty. Live with the pack. Look at what Christ has pronounced in your life. Look at how he satisfies. Look at how and follow him as he guides you. The gospel. Satisfaction for the soul. The gospel. Guidance for your walk. We're going to take communion. And these two elements show us, these two principles we talked about, that the gospel really does satisfy us. We're going to take two elements that remind us of the body and the blood of Jesus that was given for us for the forgiveness of sins. And if you know Jesus, if if you've put your faith in Christ, if you come alive to Christ, take this. Even if you don't normally come here to fellowship, this is open to whoever has believed In Christ. Because we celebrate his work for all of us. If you haven't yet, don't take it. It would just be a meaningless uh, ritual. And we're not about a meaningless ritual. We're about a a significant relationship in our lives. that, That we live with the satisfaction and fulfillment of having Jesus. But as you take these things. You might want to say to God. Jesus. Only Jesus satisfies my life. Jesus, only Jesus will guide my life.
Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word today, which is filled with constant reminders of the promises you have for us, of the joy that you set before us in Christ. And Lord, I pray that we, your people, wouldn't just check into the gospel and check out. I pray it would be something we check into, and one of the first things we do with our day is to check into the gospel to remind ourselves that only Jesus satisfies the longing of our soul and the world around us. Only Jesus can guide our lives into truth and righteousness. And so we thank you. And we lift you up to live in your grace, for your glory, in your goodness. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.